0: so excited that he's here with us today. Help me in welcoming Pastor Chris Brooks and his families here as well. Thanks, Thanks. I think you guys already know, but how many know you are uh, extremely blessed to have Pastor Billy and Amy and their family here. You know, I'm grateful, brother, for your heart for the word, but I'm, I'm grateful even more your your love for people. And it is clear and evident uh, as you greet people, as you just uh, pray for people, as you receive people. And maybe you're a visitor. Maybe you are checking us out, a guest. I just want you to know when you're looking for a church, you want to look for a number of different things. Obviously, the commitment to the word of God and uh, lifting up the name of Jesus. And hopefully you saw that in worship. But hopefully you're around the place and you're looking for... Uh, do, does this group love each other? And man, uh, I can see it here. Uh, you guys worship awesome. You, you guys did an awesome job in worship. And I want to thank you for that. A lot of places you go, people aren't passionate about praising the name of Jesus. But how many know that he is so good that he deserves all of our praise, our very, very best praise. So thank you for doing that. All right. I want to deal with the elephant in the room. I am a, a, a Spartan fan. Any? Any? Any Spartan fans out there? Any Spartan fans out there with me? All right, there'll be a group therapy session after this service for all of us in the Overflow Room. No, I'm just joking. I want to acknowledge the, uh, the prettiest lady in the room, in my humble opinion, my wife, uh, Yodi. I just so appreciate you. 21 years of marriage, and I praise God for her. Our oldest daughter is with us. Praise God. Praise God. Our oldest daughter is with us, Zoe. And uh, she's just uh, uh, just a joy and a blessing. And uh, God has done a phenomenal job in writing our family story. Uh, our uh, first three children are through adoption. And then after 16 years, uh, we had our first biological child, Judah, and then uh, Sophia. And then I sat up in front of our church and I said, whoever's praying for kids, Stop. God has answered that prayer, uh, and uh, pray for something else. But no, children are a blessing from the Lord, and we are so grateful. Uh, This has been a challenging season for us as well. Many of you know about the loss of our oldest son uh, recently, about a month ago. Uh, It's amazing how quickly uh, time has uh, gone by uh, since uh, his funeral. But I do want to stop and say thank you from the bottom of our heart, for every one of you who have prayed for us. Some of you have send text messages, some of you send emails or cards or calls or uh, condolences in many ways. And I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, my wife's heart, we are so extraordinarily grateful for the Woodside family. As a matter of fact, uh, not a day goes by that my wife and I don't say how grateful we are. And uh, we don't know if we could have made it through these last four weeks without the love and the support that we've received from our church family. So thank you for just loving us uh, so well. A little bit about uh, why I'm here today. Uh, you know, when my wife and I were praying about our next season of ministry, after we wrapped up our last assignment, what was really important for us is that we not only work at a place that we can believe in, but around people that we can enjoy. And we are so grateful that we are here at Woodside. Uh, to be able to work with the Schmitz, uh, Doug and Carolyn Schmidt. some of you know them up close and personal. Some of you know them from a distance. But we need to thank God for Doug's leadership, such a smart and humble and godly leader. And across all I campuses, hopefully you guys know that you're blessed. How many know that we're blessed to have Pastor Doug as our lead pastor? He has done an amazing Amazing job, and we thank God for him and Carolyn. But again, I thank God for all of our campus pastors as well. You know, typically you find uh, one of two extremes within the church. You either find those who are the frozen chosen. They love God, they love his word, uh, but it's us for and no more. You know, it's like we're not interested in anybody invading our space, right? And the walls of the church become kind of like gates to keep out people, uh, then you find on the other end, those who are passionate about seeing people come to know Jesus, but the Bible and the truth of the gospel become almost like a footnote. It's not uh, as important uh, to them as it should be. Praise God to be at a place that loves Jesus Loves lifting the name of Jesus in the word and in worship, but also loves people well. What a blessing. And to see that in the eyes and in the hearts of every one of our campus pastors has been absolutely incredible. This is our 10th campus that we've been on. Uh, We kind of are racking up the frequent driver miles. uh, But we've wanted to see every one of our campuses just to look up under the hood and see If what we thought we knew about Woodside was actually true, and it's been um, just a huge encouragement to us. We're going to get into the Word of God today, but just a little bit more about me. Came to Christ as a young man, was blessed to be raised in a Christian family. Came to Christ at Disney World at the age of 13. You top that. It was a blessing. It was a family vacation. It wasn't Mickey that led me to Jesus. Uh, I have been a part of a great children and youth ministry, student ministry, and it was on that family vacation where it just all came together. I share that not only for you to know a little bit more about me, but for you to know our passion for students. Our passion for your children. It is so important to the heart of the leadership of our church that we're not just looking at one generation or not just looking at those who are adults. Praise God, we want you to have great ministry and community, but we care so deeply about your children, being loved on, being in community, having wonderful friendship, and also knowing Christ for themselves. So I was blessed. I came to Christ uh, on, on that vacation. My brother, uh, was laying in the pull-out couch next to me when I got on my knees. He said, "What are you doing?" I told him what I've been learning in youth ministry, and that night he gave his life to Jesus as well. So he was my first convert, <laughs> and um, we grew in Jesus. As a matter of fact, he and his wife. Uh, joined uh, Woodside as well on our Troy campus. Uh, later on, I met this beautiful lady in youth ministry. Uh, it was love at first sight for me. It took her a little long, longer to come to realize that uh, I was the one she had been longing for. And um, <laughs> and again, we've been married for 21 of the best years of her life. And um, and God has been good to us and just add to our family. But the thing is, for us, every step of the way, we've wanted to be used by God. Our prayer has been. Uh, not a sense of entitlement. God doesn't has to, have to use us. We come to this moment not sensing that anyone owes us anything. We want to earn the right uh, to, uh, to lead and to serve and to uh, hopefully be a blessing as we uh, seek God's heart together. Um, but when I graduated from college, you know, at Michigan State, I was blessed to start a Bible study. It kind of grew from two students to about 90 students. And, and the thing that we were passionate about then is the same thing we're passionate about now knowing christ growing in christ and reaching the world for christ and i think that's the common dna between woodside and between us that's why i think this is a really good fit but our prayer was that our lives would would matter that we would leave a mark for jesus that by the time it was all said and done that we would make a difference for christ and i wonder how many want that how many want that today how many want your life to matter how many want to leave a mark for jesus how many want to be a difference maker for Christ? How many want to want to make a difference, right, on the world around you? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Today we're going to talk about becoming a difference maker, and we all need role models in that. So today I want to introduce you to one of my biblical role models. His name is Nehemiah, and I pray that you will just fall in love with what God did in Nehemiah's life. Join me in Nehemiah chapter one, and what I love about Nehemiah is it is so rich In theological content, it is it is the last of the historical books of the Old Testament. And those of you who are history buffs, uh, I would encourage you to read Ezra and Nehemiah. As a matter of fact, Esther as well, because they really are books that go together to tell about a very important period in in the life and history of Israel. Uh, They have prophetic meaning as well. You know, Nehemiah in chapter 2, we won't get to chapter 2 today, but the king, Artaxerxes, issues a decree for the holy city, Jerusalem, to be rebuilt. Well, if you go to Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 and 25... The Bible tells us this prophecy, this amazing prophecy, that from the moment that the decree goes forth to rebuild the temple in the holy uh, city of, of Jerusalem, that the clock would begin to tick for the anointed one, the Messiah to come, who would die for the sins of the world, who would atone for the sins of the world. And here's the thing that I love about it, is that God is a promise keeper. God not only proclaims what he will do in advance, but he actually fulfills it. And so I say to each one of us, we can trust in God, even in moments that are dark. Because what we're about to read is not one of the highlights of the history of Israel. This is one of the valley moments. This is one of the low moments. But God was faithful to them even then. It's one thing to praise God, and some of you right now, Billy was saying at the earlier service, this has been a great week for the church. Uh, Children were born, and there's a lot of excitement happening. I know you guys are expanding, and, and this is just a wonderful time. But in the personal life of a congregation like this, some of you, you're in your valley. Just know that God is faithful and that he sees you. And so as we get to Nehemiah, the thing that I love about this book is that Nehemiah is this ordinary guy. He's just a regular dude. There's nothing um, really special about Nehemiah on on his resume. I mean, he's not a priest. He's not a scribe. He's not a prophet. We're going to read that he has a a, a pretty uh, crummy job, in my opinion. It's not like this cool job. He has a pretty crummy job. But God uses this ordinary guy to be an extraordinary difference maker, and that encourages me. And hopefully that encourages you. Praise God. Yes, he does use preachers. He does use pastors. But that's not all he uses. Most of us will serve God in our everyday life, and he is happy to use us there if we say, I'm available. The greatest ability of all is availability. And that's what Nehemiah had in spades. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 1, verse number 1. Now the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekailah, his 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 father's name Hachila literally means wait on Yahweh, wait on Yahweh, and, and that was a reminder. I, I just imagine his dead every day having to look at his people being displaced, and they were displaced because of their rebellion against God. I would just imagine his dead looking at the despair of being a people who were really up under God's judgment. This is not, again, a highlight season of their life. And and, and every time he said his name, he, he was reminding himself, wait on Yahweh. Why wait on Yahweh? Because he is faithful. And some of you are in the waiting room. You're in the waiting room of God's plan for you. And you know what happens when we're in the waiting room? We get impatient, don't we? Anybody out there struggle with patience like me? Anybody out there struggle with that? That's your issue? Birds of a feather flock together, right? And so patience is my struggle as well. I just want to encourage you, wait on God. Wait on God because he will not disappoint you. And I'd rather wait on God than to get ahead of God. Anybody ever done that before? I've done that before where I've decided, hey, Chris, you're pretty smart. You're 42 after all. You figured it out, right? You you know how to navigate life, you know? You're grown. You're an adult. Well, the fact of the matter is, there is a way. This seems right to us, but the end of those ways lead to death. And we're going to see that in the story of Israel. Nehemiah's name, by the way, is that Yahweh comforts. And I praise God that he does. Now, it happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, as I was in uh, in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers... It came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now again, in this time, in this particular era of humanity, if you were a city that didn't have walls and gates, you were vulnerable. So to, have the, to say that their walls and gates were broken down, destroyed by fire, meant that they were exposed to all types of attacks from the enemy. And again, I want to remind you that they were there because they rebelled against God. God was literally judging them. Now let me ask you, how do you judge a nation? You know, we we as parents, we know how we how we punish our children, right? You take away their favorite toys, their electronics. You uh, maybe put them on uh, on punishment timeout. You know how to uh, punish a child, but how do you punish a nation? Well, the Bible tells us that. The way God punishes nations, in particular Israel, is when they rebel against him, he would allow other nations to come in and displace them. That's what happened in the life of Israel 140 years prior when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had come in. He ransacked the city. He wrecked the city, took all of their sacred vessels, destroyed the temple, and here, uh, 140 years later, it still wasn't restored. You know, I grew up in Detroit. My father was a Detroit public school teacher for 27 years. I, I was uh, born in that city, married in that city, kids baptized in the city. I love that city. But when I ride through the streets of Detroit, I am reminded of what happened over five decades ago in 1967. Some of you were alive, you saw, you had a front row seat to the civil unrest that happened. And the sad thing is, is yeah, we've made some progress, but five decades later, the city still bears the mark of that that just terrible time in our history. And so I can feel a little bit of Nehemiah's pain that after all this time, we're still not restored, but Nehemiah, your name means God, God comforts. And and I'm going to use you, Nehemiah, to comfort the people of Israel. How many thank God that God doesn't forget his promises? How many thank God for that? And he does comfort. So look at what God does with Nehemiah. Verse number 4 shows us Nehemiah's response to this bad news. As soon as I heard these words... I sat down and I wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to the to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you Day and night for the people of Israel, your servants confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. I love Nehemiah's humility. He doesn't blame other people. He doesn't just blame shift and say, well, you know what? It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. You know, that is the the secret key to staying stagnant is blame shifting. The secret key to not growing and maturing is saying it's somebody else's fault. Nehemiah, hopefully you see in this prayer, he says, Lord, all of us have seen, including me and my father's household. I'm a part of the problem, but Lord, I want to change that. We have acted... Very corruptly against you, verse number 7. And you have not, and we have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven... From there, I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Notice the mercy of God. Yes, I am a God who is holy. and Yes, I will judge. In other words, you'll experience consequences when you decide that you don't want to follow the wisdom of God. That's just the reality of things. But God is merciful. And when we turn to him, when we say, God, I blew it. Please forgive me. God, I repent. He brings us back. He is merciful to us. Verse 10, I love. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. How many know we are his people? We are marked by his name. He is our redeemer. But Nehemiah is saying something more than just Jesus is Savior. He's saying more than just Yahweh is Savior. He is saying Yahweh is Lord as well. See, some of us love having a Savior. We just don't want a Lord. We love having a rescuer. We just don't want a king or a commander. But, but to, 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 to give your life to God is to accept a whole lot. It's to say, you're you're my Savior, you're the one who rescued me by your blood. In just a few weeks, we're going to come and gather in this place, and we're going to talk about his his crucifixion and his, his sacrifice for us. And then a few days later, we'll gather back in, and we'll look at one another, and we will say to one another, he is risen, he is risen indeed, but we don't have to wait to celebrate that. Today, we can declare by this gathering, by the taking of the Lord's Supper, we are declaring that he is both Savior and Lord. Here's my question for you. Have you invited him to be Lord of all? Lord of all. Or are there certain rooms in your life that you say, Jesus, this is my secret room. Anybody ever have those friends that just pop up unexpected? Right? You don't have those friends. Well, maybe... Uh, You need some of mine because mine just kind of I got family and friends who pop up unexpected and you know what you do when they pop up unexpected you find one room in the house and you throw everything into that room you close the door and you let them stay in the one safe place that's actually clean some of you are not saying amen but you're nodding your head because you know exactly what I'm talking about right and we have those rooms where we're like don't open that door because if you do an avalanche might come falling in on you you open at your own risk. Well, you know, we all have those areas of our lives like that, too. Maybe it's our relationships. Maybe it's our finances. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's your career choices, but there are certain rooms where we have said, Jesus, you can come into the family room, you can come into the kitchen, but you're not welcome into the bedroom. You're not welcome into the decision-making areas. Lord, you, you can't come into these rooms because this it's my own private area. But, but Nehemiah is saying, we want you to be Lord of all. How many want him to be Lord of all? Verse number eleven, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the uh, prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Who is this man? Now I was cupbearer to the king. Now to put cupbearer to the king in his bio was to give us his occupation and tell us who he worked for. He worked for the king Artaxerxes. But to say he was cupbearer may look cool on paper, but that was not a cool job. That was a pretty terrible job, his job as a cupbearer was to sample the king's wine and food to make sure it wasn't poisoned before the king ate. How many are signing up for that job? We're accepting applications as soon as this service is over. That's a pretty terrible job. If you do your job well and it's not poison, guess what your reward is? You get to live to do it again tomorrow. And if you do your job well and it was poison, guess what your reward is? Being replaced by the afternoon. That's what Nehemiah knew was the reality of going into the presence of the king, this king who was not to be played with. He was a king who could execute uh, you if you did not do your job well. And so every day he had to come in and do this. I say this for this reason. Some of you are working pretty tough jobs, but it ain't as bad as Nehemiah. Some of you kind of feel like, man, my job might be an interruption to God's call on my life. Anybody ever felt that before? Like, God, if you just removed this nine-to-five, I really could do something great for you. I could really serve you. Nehemiah would not have been able to pull off what God called him to do if it wasn't for the job he had. Don't ever, ever underappreciate where God has you. It may not be where you've chosen to be. But blossom where you've been planted and thank God, even for crummy jobs, because it was because of his tough job that God was able to put him into the presence of the right person who granted him all the resources he needed to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Nehemiah goes on to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. But I want to just highlight three things before we're done, and that is a process God takes him through to become a difference maker. The first step God took him through is seen in verses two and three. God gives him a burden. If you're going to become a difference maker, you, you, you have to have a burden. Difference makers have a burden from God. Now, what is a burden? A burden is a passion. It is a passion for a particular group of people or a particular project. It is something that God grips your heart with that you just can't shake, and it's something that it, it, it grips you so much that you say, i got to dedicate my life to this. Notice the difference between Nehemiah's response and Hananiah's response. Hananiah was his brother. He went and he saw the brokenness of Jerusalem, but it was just a sad thing to him. But he didn't drop his bags. He didn't stop his life. He didn't say, I have to do this. He was able to see the the brokenness and just simply say, man, that's a sad thing and just keep going. I'm not critical of Hananiah because Hananiah uh, is really a reflection of most of us. But Nehemiah, when he heard it, he says, I have to do something. I remember being on a missions trip with a group of men in 2007. We were in uh, Uganda, in Africa. We were in the northern region, Gulu region. The governor there, brilliant guy, he was walking with us, telling us about the problems of his country. And he asked a question, he says, Chris, do you know the difference between a complainer and a difference maker? And I said, no, sir, what is it? He says, it's not in what they see. They see the same thing. But a complainer says something needs to be done about this. A difference maker goes a step further and says, I need to do something about this. We all know that the world is broken. How many out there know that, right? I don't have to convince you of that. You just read the newspaper, check out online, or, or, or watch the news at night, and you'll hear about violence in schools, about drug epidemics, about confusion over identity. You'll, you'll hear the world talk about terrorist attacks. You'll hear all of the brokenness. We all see it. But the vast majority of people, when they see it, are simply going to wag their heads, they're going to go about their merry way, and they're going to say something needs to be done about that. But that's not who we're called to be. We're called to be difference makers. Now, we can't solve all the evil in the world, but there's, there's certain evil that, that you should be, be gripped by. We can't fix everything that's broken in the world, but there's something that's broken in the world that should grip your heart. We, we can't solve all the problems of the lack of beauty in our world, but there's some beauty that you're called to add. That's what I want you to ask God every day when you wake up, ask God, God, what evil exists in my world that you want me to eradicate by your grace? What, what's broken in this world that you want me to fix by your grace? What, what beauty doesn't exist in this world that you want me to add by your grace? Don't just be a complainer. Be a difference maker. second thing that he does, and this is what God does with difference makers, is you notice verse number four, that Nehemiah wept for days? Difference makers have their hearts broken by God. Pray for the ministry of tears. Because there's going to be times when you won't have the words to say. You're going to to want to lead somebody to Christ. You're going to want to minister to someone. And and you're not going to be as eloquent as Billy Graham. You're not going to have all the intellect of Aravi Zacharias. But you're going to want to see them come to Jesus. And in those precious moments, God will give you tears if you pray for that. Because tears communicate something that words sometimes fail to communicate. Let me ask this question. When was the last time you cried? What was the last time you cried because you were so burdened to see someone come to Christ, your son, your daughter, your husband, your wife, your friend, your neighbor? What was the last time you cried over someone else's sin or spiritual condition? What was the last time you cried over your own sin? Let me give you a prayer that you want to add to your prayer life. It's simply this. Lord, break my heart for the things that break the heart of God. Break my heart, God. Nehemiah cried and some of you know tears like this how many have had something so grip your heart that you've wept over it anybody have that something a burden that has gripped your heart that you say god i just can't shake this this is what i believe i'm supposed to do with my life i can't go on as if life is normal when i know this brokenness and this evil exists don't think you're weird Because the world is going to make you feel weird. They're going to say, why can't you just shake your head and go about your merry way like us? your response is, I'm sorry, but I think God is doing something deeper. I think God is making me a difference maker. The last thing that God does with Nehemiah, and you can't fully see it in chapter 1, but when you step into chapter 2, the scene shifts. It goes from the month of Kislev to the month of Nisan, about a four-month period. Nehemiah goes from praying to standing before the presence of the king. And the king sees him sad, queen sitting right next to him. And the king says to Nehemiah, Nehemiah, why are you sad and what do you want me to do for you? Nehemiah doesn't say, wow, I didn't expect that question. Let me go back and think about it. Without blinking an eye, Nehemiah says, I am sad because my city, the city of my ancestors, has been ransacked. And Lord, would I and king, rather, what I need from you is, is this time off? I need this much timber. I need letters to, for armed guards to protect me. He knew exactly what he needed. Nehemiah was spiritual, but he was practical as well. Di- difference makers turn their burdens into plans. While you're praying, be planning. Yes, pray, take the need to God, but surround yourself with people who can help you to think through the practical side of, of being a difference maker. And I believe that as you do that, that God will give you the wisdom he gave to Nehemiah. Yes, Nehemiah knew the king was great, but he knew that God was greater. And some of you will look at a problem and feel like, man, that's overwhelming. How can I fix this? How can I make a difference in this area? Let me give you kingdom math, that you plus God equals a majority. That if God is for you, he is greater than whatever stands opposed to his will. So by encouragement, and I think this is what what Woodside is all about. In all of the communities that God has us in, we are discipling men and women, boys and girls, to become difference makers for Christ so that the world can know him, can grow in him, and so that we together can reach the world for him. Amen? How many want to be a difference maker for Jesus? Let me pray for you. Let me pray for us. Father God, what a privilege it is to know you, to serve you. Lord, we come like Nehemiah, ordinary men and women, not much on our resumes, the Lord, that you can use. But Lord, we know that your grace is enough. And so, God, I pray that you would encourage us today, that you would give us a bold faith, the Lord, that you would give us the humility of Nehemiah to depend on you. But we pray, the Lord, that we would be obedient. Because Nehemiah was obedient, Jerusalem was rebuilt, the Messiah came, he died for us so that we might be saved. And so today, the Lord, I pray that we will be obedient so that others may know Jesus, whom to know is eternal life. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.